London Made Music Group podcast. This is episode five, and we're going to be talking to Nada David about AWS and what he does there. Nada is going to be talking at CityJS on the 24th to the 26th of March in an online conference that lasts for three days. And he's another one of our guests that we've um, been talking to from CityJS. So feel free to check out the website to see the full list of speakers and schedule. Please check out our Discord channel to catch up with latest community chats and to keep in contact with fellow Node engineers. With that, let's go straight into talking to Nader. Nader Dabit, I'm a senior developer advocate at AWS working on the AWS front end web and mobile team. Been here for about three years. Before that, I was doing consulting for about a year and a half. Uh, before that, I was a software engineer at various companies. And um, during my three years at AWS, I started off on um, this team as a developer advocate. And now I lead the uh, developer advocacy for front end web and mobile. And we have um, a few different people on our team now. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, so we asked in our Discord channel um, if anyone had any questions. So I've got a few of the questions here. I'm going to start off with the, the questions from there, if that's all right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the first one is, how is a traditional Node.js developer, um, what, what's a good route for them to get into serverless? So a traditional Node.js developer actually has a lot of good opportunities to kind of get into serverless because basically the most popular runtime right now for, from what I from what I, what I uh, can see and basically all the customers I'm working with, Python and JavaScript are both really popular runtimes and the JavaScript runtime is Node.js. So, um, you know, being able to kind of get up and running with with a Lambda function with Node.js is actually becoming easier and easier. So some of this work that we're doing, um, some of the work that, you know, you see uh, around the industry in general, I guess, is kind of improving the, the developer experience and lowering the barrier to entry to kind of do this. So if you're if you're a Node.js developer, you can start writing your business logic in a Lambda function, and you're already kind of there. Um, I think the the complexity around what goes from there, actually how to um, imp- implement these types of things in like a real world scenario, is kind of where the trade or, or the um, disconnect, I think you would say, for people new to um, AWS, kind of comes into play or new to cloud computing, because when you're running a serverless function, you can't just use that function anywhere. You have to kind of have an event source. So when you think of um, a serverless application, a lot of people are using an HTTP endpoint as an event source. So you kind of have an API that you're hitting then that triggers the event for the Lambda function to execute. And then there you're actually having your your Node.js code. Um, Another really great entry point, in my opinion, is and it's something that I think we're going to hit on a couple of times here, is running running an Express app in a serverless function. You can basically have your entire Express application running in a Lambda function, and you can have all of your routing, all of your plugins, everything there, and um, basically be doing all the things that you were doing before, but just doing them in in a serverless function. Okay. Do, do, I mean, do you have um, docs or anything? Is there a good starting point for developers sort of onboarding onto the uh, onto serverless, where they can go and find out what the latest and greatest way of doing it is? 
Yeah, I mean, the serverless Express framework is actually an entire framework built for running Express in a um, Node.js environment. You know, I'm sorry, uh, running um, um, Express in a Lambda execution environment. That would be a good place to start. Um, the AWS Amplify docs show you how to uh, do this as well. And um, and then I would also check out the serverless framework docs. Any of those are really great choices to kind of get up and running pretty quickly. Okay. Um, you mentioned Amplify there. I, I think let's, I'm going to ask another one of the questions and I, I, I'm going to dig into a bit about what Amplify is doing. I, I think one of these questions is quite um, relevant to, to it, though, I think. Um, what tooling is there to make the developer experience better and AWS more accessible? I think that in general, there's just a, a large movement within the company to improve the developer experience because that's one of the things that we've traditionally not been very good at. So the teams within each individual like portion of AWS have their own things going on. Um, and then, you know, there's also tooling outside of AWS that people are building on top of AWS. So when you look at stuff like um, Vercel or Netlify or a lot of these other really great developer experience companies, a lot of them are using AWS infrastructure, but making the developer experience much better. Um, so you're able to still do a lot of the stuff that you would want to do there, but with a lower barrier to entry. Um, also, our team, AWS Amplify, like you mentioned, uh, we're also building tooling to improve developer experience. We have a couple of things that we've built. One is a framework essentially on top of AWS called Amplify that allows you to spin up AWS services and also interact with them, either from a CLI or from a dashboard. Um, and I think in the conversation around serverless functions and Node.js runtimes within a Lambda, um, I think, like I mentioned, just getting the function code in there is not the hard part, but getting everything working together is kind of the hard part. So when you think of a REST API that is using Node.js as the runtime, you um, have to actually piece about three things together. You need the Lambda function itself. You need the um, API endpoint to kind of uh, hit that Lambda function. And then you probably want some type of data source that you're going to be persisting your data. And then you need to put all those things together and they need to have the proper permissions, the proper authorization and authentication configurations and all that stuff. So like once you know AWS, putting that stuff together isn't too hard. But when you're first getting started, it, it, it is very hard. So one of the things that you can do with things like the serverless framework or Amplify is just say, oh, I want an API. And we will kind of spin up all of that stuff to, together for you and then give it to you. And then you can configure it from there. And I think that's really powerful because sometimes you just, you know, you want to just uh, deploy your app and run some code and you know exactly the configuration that you want. And it's a very popular thing that a lot of other people are doing. So let's abstract that away and just kind of make it a, a one-liner. And then you can just, uh, with Amplify, run Amplify Add API. We'll build all that stuff for you and deploy it. And you can then kind of configure it for your own uh, use case. If you're using the serverless framework, it's just a couple of lines of configuration as well. They're both great, great choices for, for this discussion, I think. So is Amplify, is, it, is, it, is, is that the layer that you manage all your services through? Or is it just what's used to create them? And then you kind of have to open the trapdoor and go into the AWS internals afterwards? Or is it a layer you constantly go through Amplify? So it's it's actually both. You, you use the Amplify layer to deploy and create all these services, but at the end of the day, they're all still running un, uh, behind 
the scenes under the hood anyway. So you, you basically, let's say you use Amplify to create this, this API, this REST API. And we did generate a REST endpoint. We created a Lambda function and maybe we created a DynamoDB table for you. You can handle all that via directly via Amplify um, from the CLI. You can even go into the new admin UI dashboard and manage some of that. Um, but you can also go directly into the service dashboard for like a full granular control if you want to do that. So I think like the power users, the AWS, uh, um, you know, experienced people might be doing more of that, whereas um, people just getting started probably will not. That makes sense. So it's, it, it sounds like it's a bit more advanced than Netlify and you've got the full, the full, you can go into the full detail if you want to as well. Is that, is that fair? Right. You can go into the, into the dashboard and do everything you would like. Yeah. Okay. Um, configuration of code. This is another one of the questions that we had. What does it actually mean? Um, can I get an app deployed to AWS running and tested locally, or is that just not the cloud way of doing things? And, and I guess that's related to AWS and to Amplify as well now that we're, we're talking about Amplify. Yeah, I mean, configuration is code. And, um, also, infrastructure is code. Those two things are spoken about in similar discussions and similar use cases and stuff. Um, essentially, when you think of cloud computing and how it started, you know, what, 20 or so years ago and to, compared to where it is now um, versus maybe what we were doing even before then and even what people are still doing now that is kind of the old way of doing things, i.e. having your infrastructure managed locally for whatever reason. You know, there are still reasons maybe for that, but most of the people realize that having a distributed, um, more consistent you know, um, infrastructure is, is there's a lot of benefits to it. So configuration or infrastructure as code basically allows people to say, okay, these pieces of infrastructure are no longer actually pieces of like physical things that I have to deal with. Now they are actually just APIs that I can hook into because we know that they're there and we know that we can use them whenever we'd like. So uh, I'm going to create this configuration file. And I know for my service, I'm going to, and we'll come back to that same, you know, example of a REST API because I think it's something yeah, that a lot of people understand. Let's say, oh, I know I want this REST API and I know that I need to have uh, this DynamoDB table and I know I need this Postgres table and I know I need some storage for storing images and videos and then I need my API endpoint and then I want my function and I want to kind of put it all together. You can just create a configuration file and the configuration file is going to define things like the database name. It's going to define things like the REST API name. Um, you're going to define things like the permissions around some of these things. And then you have this configuration file that you can then deploy. And you just essentially you could think of it like uploading it to a service. And then the service reads those definitions and then creates those services for you. Or you can share that file with other people that want to deploy the same thing. And it's like a blueprint, you know for what you would like to do. And then when you start thinking of it in this way, you can also start thinking of what else you might be able to do with this idea. So what if you created like um, a third party service that allowed people to have a better um, abstraction on top of AWS? All you would really need to do would have some type of way to build this configuration file under the hood for that person and then deploy it on their behalf. So like a lot of these drag and drop editors for building out infrastructure, all they're really doing is creating these infrastructure as code files under the hood and then deploying them on your behalf. I think um, Stackery is a really cool project because they've greatly improved the um, 
user experience and or I guess developer experience of building out this infrastructure's code in an actual visual user interface. And and they allow you to kind of tie things together with permissions and stuff too. All right, we'll put that in the in the show notes, and that sounds useful. And, and Amplify is that is that creating configuration as code or infrastructure as code? Is that exactly. can you get some configuration underneath it? And yeah, that's exactly right. And for uh, Amplify CLI, uh, it's just taking a different approach. I, I think that um, you have different people and and uh, with different levels of experience, and you want to give them the things that kind of work best for them. But you also have the idea of developer velocity, and um, over time the abstractions get better. So like the most basic form of infrastructure as code um, right now to the best of my uh, understanding that's being used today is something called uh, cloud formation or uh, a, a semblance of cloud formation in another uh, cloud provider. But for AWS, that would be cloud formation. Cloud formation is just either a JSON or YAML file that is very fine grained instructions around infrastructure as code. Um, but to build something with CloudFormation, you typically have to write a lot of uh, a lot of lines. So for um, a service, it's not unlikely to see 500 to 5,000 or even 50,000 lines of CloudFormation for a big service, you know. Um, and to, to, to write all this code, you actually have to have really good knowledge of like what is going on under the hood to write all this stuff because you need to know syntax. You need to know um, acronyms and lingo and all of uh and also how everything just works together. And it's actually a really high barrier to entry. So that was cloud formation. And then you've started seeing better abstractions. So the serverless framework was, in my opinion, like the biggest leap from cloud formation to, to something better. The serverless framework says, oh, don't worry about all that stuff. Just define like two or three um, different you know, properties. And then we're going to then build all that cloud formation for you in a build command. And then we're going to then deploy that for you. That way you're not needing to write or know as much of what's going on. And then, and then, in my opinion, the next layer on top of that is going to be either a drag and drop UI or some type of UI that does that for you, or a CLI like the Amplify CLI that does that for you. And instead of having to write all this stuff for you, we're going to use language that makes a lot more sense. So we're going to say um, Amplify Add API or Amplify Add Database or Amplify Add Storage. All of those things will then generate that cloud formation for you. And then when you want to deploy, you just run another CLI com command. You want to update, you run a CLI command. Um, another really great tool in this space is CDK, which is Cloud Development Kit. And CDK takes a similar approach as um, serverless framework. But instead of writing YAML or JSON, you're actually able to use your favorite programming language. So if you're a TypeScript developer, a JavaScript developer, or a Python developer, or a .NET developer, whatever, you can just like write all this stuff. Um, and it's actually code where you can do things like logic and things like that, which is pretty cool. Okay. Um, one of the questions that we had, um, I think it kind of relates to this quite nicely. How, how can I define my routes to functions without having half my app defined in the AWS console? And I guess this is one of the things you're kind of doing with Amplify, putting it into one place, is that right? Um, so you want to de define your routes to functions without having half your app defined in the AWS I think, console. I think what they're getting at is just um, the actual configuration of your application ends up living in AWS rather than a Git repository or something like that, unless you do the configuration as code thing. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess one way around, if, if that's the question, would be just to use infrastructure as code and to iterate on your infrastructure as code and to share, have a shared um, you know, infrastructure as code 
workflow between your teams where they can um, iterate and, and, and test things out and then merge th- things that are working. Um, and that way you, you're not really working in the console at all. You're working um, locally. And then, nice. I mean, if, and if they're actually talking about routes, um, you know, like real routes, like API routes or something, you might, I I don't really know if that's the question, but if that's the question, you could run the serverless framework. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, you could, yeah, uh, run the express framework in a serverless function and um, have thousands of routes within a single function. I think think they probably were getting at that, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay, that's very useful. Thank you. Okay, another another question we had, what tooling is to make, is there out there to make the developer experience better? I think we've mostly covered that. Unless there's anything else you particularly wanted to mention. I mean, I think that um, um, one of the things that again a lot of teams are trying to 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 approach now is improving the developer experience. So, I mean, our team, our number one focus is developer experience, developer velocity, and extensibility. And that's just something we think about every day. We we listen to people what they're doing and the problems that they're having, and we spend time trying to solve those problems. And we take their their feedback, put it on our roadmap, and we continue to iterate. And that's kind of our end goal is the best developer experience that we can have. So I mean, if you're if you've used AWS in the past with without good good um, you know having a good experience or whatever, I would I would revisit CDK. I would revisit Amplify CLI, and I would also uh, revisit. Um, serverless framework and kind of see where those things have, have gone because they're really powerful. And I think the best thing about using um, these types of tools is that you're building directly on AWS and you're not using some abstraction like a, a third-party service, which are fun and they're great as well, but you do end up paying a little more because at the end of the day, they're also running AWS and they're just needing to mark it up enough to make a profit. Yeah, yeah, of course. Is there any level of portability from Amplify being able to pick up that and, and take it to another service, or is it are you pretty tied in at that point? Portability, being able to take it off AWS if you needed to or wanted to, or is I, 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 there's not the scripts that you I, could just run in another environment? I assume. I think it heavily depends on how many managed services that you opt into, um, because managed services are just you know traditionally harder to move out of, and they have more lock-in. So a, a managed service like Cognito, which manages all of your identity and you can have up to 50,000 free users, uh, you know, forever, you know, they up to 50,000 free users um, using that managed identity service. Um, if you built your app using that, then moving away from that is going to take some work. But if you built all of that from scratch and you, you built it using some uh, database like Postgres, that is, you know, something you can use across any platform, then you're going to have less time. It's a trade-off, right? You're going to have um, easier time moving it to a different provider, but you're going to have a harder time building it in the first place and doing so securely. Yep. It's it's portability, but that's a cost quite often, isn't it? That makes sense. Yeah. I think it's just a trade-off and it, it just depends on, you know, I guess what your focus and your end goal and, and your considerations are and, and where you want to be. What comes down to the requirements at the end of the day, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. I, I have to admit, I don't know the full context of this one. I don't know if this is going to make more sense to you than me. Um, how do you actually get something meaningful from the cost budget calculator when planning a small project? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's another area where I think that people have... Um, we, we, we maybe have some work to do and, and improvement, things like that. I mean, 
I like to go into uh, I like to go into each individual service and kind of get an idea of the pricing and maybe like jot it down for the services and have like a single place that I can go and look for those things I'm using. So for instance, if I'm using AppSync, I might go into the AppSync dashboard and write down a couple of notes about pricing. I'll go into DynamoDB and write a couple of notes about pricing and then I'll go into maybe um, Cognito or whatever. And then I'll basically um, take an idea and be like, look, if I have uh, 10,000 or 50,000 users, how much is this going to cost? And just create like a um, spreadsheet that kind of just gives me a general idea. Um, this way you kind of have a very good idea around, you know, what your usage is going to be. And I would say, I mean, for most apps, and if you're building in a serverless way, you're not going to have any cost anyway, unless you get customers, you know, like, and, and, and not just one or two, but more like in the thousands, you're not going to really it's not going to really cost you anything much unless you have thousands of customers if you're building in the serverless uh, mindset. Because when you're building with serverless tools, you're paying for the compute. And if you don't have any compute being used, you're not paying for anything. If you spin up a thousand EC2 instances, yeah, you're going to be paying for that regardless if anyone's using it. So it's kind of like what things are you using and things like that. But um, as far as getting something meaningful from the cost budget calculators, I would um, consider um trying to double or triple or quadruple like what your estimated usage is and then that way it's always going to be at least less that's another thing and then also set up pricing alarms if you're really worried about this set up a pricing alarm for five bucks if it goes over five bucks go in and see what's going on um and and typically like you shouldn't even be going over five bucks a month uh for if you're building in the serverless way okay that's, that's a good answer thank unless you. you have a bunch of customers which is a good thing right <laughs> Hopefully then you've got more than five bucks coming in to pay for the bills as well. Exactly. Hopefully. Or you get some uh, venture capital. Yeah, true. Someone else's money. Um, another question we had from Discord. I, I'd be curious as to what AWS sees the future of infra. There are plenty of people going more or less serverless only. Is that where you see the infrastructure going? So... I tend to not rely on my own intuition all the time, and I heavily rely on on the experts and 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 I and I focus on the markets and where those things are headed. And from everything that I've seen and all of the research and all of the stuff that I've looked at, the entire cloud industry is moving in in the serverless direction. So yeah, I would have to say that the future is definitely serverless. It's probably still a little bit ahead of its time, but everything that can be serverless will be serverless in the sense that why would anyone, it's almost like the sharing economy and how we're moving that way as well. Um, you know, if you think of um, rod sharing um, in, in certain parts of the, the country now, it's hard to imagine certain um, cities without that. Like for instance, if you go to New York, if you remember having to hail a cab 10 years ago versus now um, and how much of a pain that used to be, like would would the average person go to New York and like rent a car or would they just do a ride sharing uh, thing, right? And you you think of cloud computing in the same way. Um, why would you go and, and, and reserve five or 10 different resources and you don't even know if you're going to use those and pay for those versus just using them when they're ready, ready? So where the cloud computing industry is headed is making the efficiency of sharing resources much better and easier and improving improving the abstraction. And there was a, per, a, a research paper that was released by Berkeley last year called Cloud Computing Simplified. And it kind of talked about 
their predictions in, in of cloud computing. And at the end of the paper, their prediction is that everything is becoming serverless in the cloud computing industry for the most part. They're, of course, going to be always um, some outliers, but that's kind of where it's headed. And they think that everything is going to be serverless and that's where it's headed. So, and and and, and the big point that I saw that was interesting was that in the future, serverless computing is going to be cheaper than server-full computing across the board, um, meaning that there are not going to be any hardly any workloads that will be, um, it, it will end up being more expensive to not be serverless for almost every workload, whereas now it just depends, right? Because if you're using stuff like machine learning and you're doing really complex things, you, you still might you're still probably going to end up needing to reserve your own server instances and things like that. But in the future, they're basically saying that serverless computing is going to be cheaper across the board, period. Okay. Another question from Discord. Um, when Lambdas became popular a few years ago, they seemed to be aimed at occasional events, driven jobs, rather than hosting entire architectures. Was that foreseen? Um, or is it just lots of people jumping on a popular bandwagon? Was, was it kind of intended that serverless would become this big or expected? I think that Lambda was the first serverless, you know, service to become popular and use that name serverless. But I think the real question and discussion here is around managed services. And again, the serverless mindset and paying for paying per compute. And I think everything is heading that direction, even entire architectures and uh, everything from event-driven jobs to long-running processes and everything in between. Okay. Okay, so we talked quite a lot about service. Is, has AWS got anything else in the pipeline that's going to completely change the way we host our apps? Hmm. Uh, I mean, I think that the future is, is managed services and the future is serverless. And I think that any way that we can take something that is being manually done and, and automated then you're going to see that being done in any possible way. And I, and I really have learned a lot being here at AWS last few years around innovation and kind of how that works here. And it's really interesting to see that everyone is working towards trying to simplify things and everyone's coming up with ideas. And to get an idea from the idea stage to the actual implementation stage, there's a lot of things that have to happen in between those two steps. A lot of people have to kind of buy in on it and a lot of smart ideas are coming come up with every day and a lot of them are even thrown out. So like, um, I'm just really interested in to see what's going to happen in the space of managed services and what people are going to come up with. I, I don't have any individual area that I was gonna, I would call out, but I would say you're going to just, just see a lot more uh, managed services and I'm hoping more managed databases as well. Okay. More to come then, it sounds like. Plenty in the pipeline. Yeah. Um, okay, another question um, from Discord. In using AWS, developers have to give a lot of trust over to Amazon, not just hosting, but that Amazon will not suddenly become the competition. What safeguards are in place to protect small companies using AWS? Well, I think that there are a lot of great companies that use AWS that um, have services that would you could quote unquote put in that bucket of, of a alternative. I wouldn't even call it competing. But when you think of how big the the pie is and how many different things are out there, that people things that people are doing, amazing um, projects like Firebase, um, where they're building out um, you know a very similar product to Amplify. I don't think that there's any single winner for a lot of these things. Everyone is doing stuff. Everyone's innovating. Everyone's building interesting things. 
and um, there could be 10 or 15 versions of what Amplify is, and there actually already are. And I encourage people to use all of those things. So if someone builds something similar, um, we don't really look at it as a competition. We look at it you know, as a way to kind of give people an alternate, alternate option to do something interesting. And we encourage people to, to use those things. So for instance, um, if you look at services like Vercel that are built on, on AWS, um, I don't look at that as a competition. I think that's an amazing tool and I actually tell people to use it every day. So I would say, um, I, I don't think that I look at it like that, you know? Okay. That's fair Another question. I think we're getting too much now. Um, I'd be really curious to know about your experience running meetups and any tips for community building online. I don't of our organizers. Yeah. So, um, when I first got into programming, I live in, I, first of all, I live in Mississippi. And if you're from the United States or maybe even not from the United States, you may not, you may know that Mississippi is not quite the tech capital. In fact, it's the quite complete opposite. There is no tech here. Like that, the, if you were to find probably the one state with the least amount of tech, it would be here. So this is where I live. Um, the first programming job I got, I moved to Los Angeles and I was introduced to meetups and conferences and I was blown away. And I lived there for, you know, a year and a half or so. And I, I fell in love with like going to meetups and stuff. So when I came back to Mississippi, there still were no meetups, of course. So I decided to start uh, a meetup. I ran the meetup for a little over three years. I also started a coding school where we gave a lot of free coding classes uh, to people here. Um, and it was probably the most, it was probably the most rewarding experience that I've ever done as far as like getting involved in community stuff, especially early on. And, um, I ended up, you know, basically just having no one showing up at first for giving talks other than myself. So tips on doing it, you know, just start one, find find an interesting topic and start doing it and be consistent with it. Like um, if you're going to start a meetup, don't do one and then not do another one for six months. Do one every single month, at least for a couple of years until you kind of build up um, a nice number of people in there and be prepared to give the talks yourself. A lot of times I was giving the talks because there were there were no other people there to give the talk. So I would just show up and give a talk um, and also be ready to pay money out of your own pocket. Like I spent tens, uh, I wouldn't say tens of thousands, but at least ten or fifteen thousand dollars out of my own pocket to fund all of these events because I could not find sponsors a lot of the times. And, um, you know, I wanted them to happen anyway. And I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have had enough money at the end of the, the month to do that. So I was doing that. So be prepared to give your own talks. Be prepared to pay for things for yourself. Be consistent and try to find really great, interesting people to help you out along the way. Because, you know, at first you're going to be doing everything yourself. But over time, you do want people to help you out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, some great tips there. Okay. Um, I believe you're a contributor to React Native. Is that, is that right? And what is it you do there? Um, I've, I've only contributed a couple of very small pull requests, and it's probably been years since I've done that. So I'm not, uh, I wouldn't consider even myself a contributor at this point. Um, and um, I am heavily in the React Native community, though. So I've done a lot of um, stuff within the React Native community, like open source projects. So I've released um, React Native Elements, which is basically, you know, uh, a UI framework. And I think it's probably one of, if not the most downloaded, like one of the top two or three most downloaded React Native UI libraries out there still. Um, I've done stuff like that, but I've never really been a core contributor to React Native, no. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I've got my information on there then. That's fine. Um, we should we should probably talk about what you're going to be talking about at CityJS. Have you, have you figured out your talk yet? Are you ready to, ready to give that? Yeah, I mean... Um, 
I think it's going to be around a combination of, of Next.js and in the cloud using uh, cloud native stuff. So some of the work that we've been doing and Eric Clemens on my team and uh, the people on his team as well, what they've been doing actually is building out SSR support for, for Amplify. One of the things that we're noticing with our customers is that they're um, not just building single page applications on the web. Um, they're not just building server rendered applications. They're building these hybrid applications that combine both SSR, static site generation and server side rendering. So we're trying to make sure we do everything we can to kind of support those workloads. So a lot of the work that we've been doing around not only the library side, but also the hosting side is to support all this stuff. So I think giving a talk, showing people how they can build out these hybrid types of uh, web apps and mobile apps, because when you think of React Native, React Native Web, I would also throw that in that same bucket, is uh, how to build how to build these types of hybrid applications on the cloud and uh, do so from a front-end developer's mindset like myself, because I'm a front-end developer and that just now getting into all of this AWS stuff in the last few years. Okay. How, how is it that you go about picking your stack? Is it, I mean, is, is, is the bits that you mentioned for that talk, is that your standard stack or do you, how do you decide what tools you use? Um, for like the stack that I've been using lately here, I mean, you know, working at AWS, I've been using AWS a lot because I've um, been learning it and I'm having fun with it and I'm being productive with it. So like I typically use the things that I'm currently good at. So the stack that I'm working with right now is, is AWS. Now within AWS, there's a million things you can use, right? The things that I really enjoy using though right now are CDK and of course Amplify. So the reason uh, I'm working with Amplify though is because um, it's probably the easiest way to work with Next.js. And that's probably the, the actual framework that I'm going to work with. So that kind of uh, makes it pretty easy for me to choose. And I love Next.js. Okay, that's good to know. Um, right. We like to do a module of the month here on the LNAC podcast. Have you got a module that you'd like to nominate as your preferred module? It's going to be one you've already spoken about, one you've written or anything, really, just your When you say uh, the preferred module... Just a module that you like, you've been enjoying using recently. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, let me think about that for a second. I'll let you go first while I give this some thought. Oh, I haven't thought of one. Um, oh, um, X-State is, is actually going to be it, I think. I've been very much enjoying using it. Expo? No, just X-State. The, the, the oh, X-State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, um, yeah um, so I, I guess I'll throw out two, and these are probably things that everyone has used and heard of, but they're they're really great and, and they're solid, you know? I mean, um, I think one of the things, that, and I just mentioned Expo, like Expo has just gotten so good over the, over time and so much better. Um, not that it was ever like bad, but, you know, it did have some um, rough edges at first, but now there's so many things that you can do with Expo and the developer experience is amazing and they've contributed so much to the community. Um, you can now use a lot of the stuff that they used to only build for Expo, you can use it in the, the regular React Native app. So I'll definitely plug uh, Expo. And then I'll also plug Formic. Formic is a really nice and simple way to build forums um, and React. So those are the two things I, I would plug. And then I would say that, of course, Formic is a module, but Expo is an essential, isn't really a module, but it is a framework, so. Excellent. Well, that brings to the end of the questions that are, is there anything you'd like to say to our dear listeners before uh, we round up? No, not really. I would just say um, one thing that I'm having uh, a good time with lately is Clubhouse. So I'm, I'm Natter on Clubhouse, N-A-D-E-R. Today I'm talking about making a lot of money in, um, in the developer space, like as either a developer or as a consultant. Check it out there. And then also check out my YouTube. It's youtube.com slash Natter 
Um, my main focus is full stack cloud and full stack serverless tutorials and videos. So if you're interested in building out these full stack types of applications on AWS, then uh, subscribe to my channel. Brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us, Nader. We really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great being here. It was a cool discussion. Great questions from everyone.